0: welcome back to the reading and writing podcast my guest today is poppy alexander author of the novel the littlest library katherine miller said about the littlest library five of the biggest stars for the littlest library i thoroughly enjoyed spending some time with jess and her phone box full of books poppy welcome to the podcast
1: Hello, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Littlest Library, how would you describe the novel?
1: Goodness. Well, I mean, I think the first thing that I should say about it is that it was a total indulgence for me to write. <laughs> um, it was a chance for me to weave a few of my all time favorite books into the storyline. But from the reader's point of view, it is a story about how the books. That are most precious to us, that we gather around us as we go through the years, uh, can be an inspiration for other people as well. Um, We talk about my my protagonist is called Jess, and she moves to an area where she knows nobody with very little other than the few books that are most precious to her. And when she arrives in the village and sees that there's a red telephone box. In, in the UK, we have these iconic red telephone boxes you see pretty much everywhere. Um, and what's happened to them over the years is obviously we all have mobile phones now, so the telephone boxes have become obsolete. Um, and within communities, these telephone boxes have been repurposed in various ways. And, you know, several, including the one that is closest to where I live in my little village in Sussex in the UK, have been turned into these littlest libraries. I mean, what a fantastic concept. What's not to like?
0: That's wonderful. So what are some of those
1: precious books for you? (laughs) Well, you could read the littlest library. And I confess my own precious books are writ large within the story. Um mentioned in passing, quoted sometimes. I I my my precious books I think are are books that other people would treasure as well. There's there's a little bit of Dickens in there, a bit of Austin, Bronte, Maurier, uh Louisa May Olcott, Little Women, it's such a precious book to me. Um and modern ones too. Uh Michelle Obama's uh, Becoming gets an honourable mention in the story. Um, and Dr. Zeus, obviously Dr. Zeus, because it's <laughs> about childhood books as well. That's wonderful. Well, do you remember the original
0: idea or impetus that led you to write The Littlest Library?
1: Well, it was suggested to me by my editor, actually. And I immediately <laughs> thought, what a fantastic concept, um, especially as I had this little library of, of my own just up the road. Um, and we both adored um, the idea of playing around with hell um sharing books can do as they do in the story. They they heal a community, they bring people together, they mend friendships. Um, and of course, a central part of the book is that Jess meets um a wonderful man who um, according to the Honourable Tropes, is very grumpy in the beginning, but gets <laughs> better and better as the book goes on. I mean, I I um lovingly Engage with all of the conventions of um, a woman's commercial fiction romance. Uh, It is essentially that at its core. Um, But there are important secondary characters as well. I like everybody to have their own story arc if I can manage it. Um, And so various themes are explored throughout the book. It was just the most fantastic fun to write. I adored it.
0: That's wonderful. So, what was your original writing journey that led you to write and get your first novel published?
1: Oh, well, I, I I suspect I'm not the only person to admit that it was a very long writing journey that led <laughs> me to my first uh, book being published. Um, it was a funny thing. You know, I came to writing uh, in a very roundabout way, in the sense that uh, I found that with the various professional proper jobs that I was doing, the Bit about all of those jobs that I enjoyed the most was when I had the opportunity to write and not novels, obviously, but you know feature articles. So yeah, my my journey was that I had various proper jobs first, uh, some of which I was extremely bad at. I was a mediocre classical singer and an absolutely terrible waitress um, for a few years, and and then I kind of fell into public relations and was drawn into. Um, Being a jobbing writer, which was the most fantastic preparation for writing novels. You know, I was used to being presented with a task at the beginning of the day to write a press release or a or an article or website copy or leaflets or whatever else. And it's just about making those words as powerful and direct as you can, addressing your audience in the way that is the most effective way to get your your I say story advisedly. There's always a story that you're trying to get across when you're writing. Um, a piece, and and so I think that that training was very useful for me. And I tentatively started uh, writing novels when my children were very tiny. Um, and I wrote some pretty awful stuff. <laughs> and I worked hard, and I persevered, and I, I, I'm not going to say perfecting my craft. I don't think anybody can ever say that they've reached that point. But I got gradually better and I started to engage with the writing community as well. Um, We have such a fantastic writing community. I love my fellow writers. We support one another um, amazingly well. But I think a real breakthrough for me is that a friend of mine uh, presented me with an entry form for a novel writing competition that was being run by uh, good Housekeeping magazine. I don't know if you have Good Housekeeping in the states. I think you do. I'm we, not do. Sure. we do. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the UK version of Good Housekeeping magazine, and Orion Publishing, who are my primary UK publishers. Um, and they, uh, I, I entered this competition because a friend of mine gave me the form, gave me this the this stamped addressed envelope, told me to get on with it and enter this competition. Um, it's the first and last writing competition I've ever, I've ever entered. And I was lucky enough that the material I submitted was picked out of three and a half thousand entries to be shortlisted, although I was not the overall winner um, at that stage. I was kind of joint second with a couple of other people. But it was such a boost um, to know that I'd been picked out of all of those other entries. And it really gave me a little bit of self belief that I'd been lacking until that point. Um so there was no big aha moment instead there were mini triumphs along the way just enough to keep me going um you know being told by agents that they didn't want to represent me even though they quite liked my writing and thought that I should carry on um so there was a lot of that uh, over the years and eventually it was actually the second book I wrote uh, which was the first to be traditionally published by a UK traditional publisher. Um, And I went on from there to write a couple more for uh, an independent publisher was just that little bit bigger. Uh, And then I created the Poppy Alexander writing name and uh, started writing for Orion in the UK. And my first Poppy Alexander did incredibly well, actually. Lovely little book, 25 Days in December, if anybody would like to, to look it up. Um and that sold very widely in several countries um and did very well. So we've kind of just gone on from there, really. Just building and putting myself out there, I think, is the critical thing. And that would be my advice uh to would-be writers. Oh, and I know everybody says it, but so vital. I read. I read, I have read copiously, fanatically, um, pathologically <laughs> since I was only a young child. Um I was I was being raised by nuns um, at a boarding school in the UK uh, when I was little. And I was given special permission once I'd read everything in the primary school library. I was given special permission to choose books from the library that was intended for the older girls. And I, I, I just consumed books at a rate of at least one a day. It was ridiculous, actually. Um, And I read my way through that library, everything from La Peste in Translation Camus. I was absolutely fascinated by the grotesque descriptions of people dying of plague in in Paris. Um, There was a whole series, I remember, of very saintly books. They were the lives of saints and martyrs. And I waded my way through those. Oh my goodness, they were boring, although the martyrs did die in very interesting ways.
0: So what was your writing process when you were working on the Littlest Library? Did you outline the book before you started writing, or did you just kind of jump into the narrative?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, my normal writing process for all of my books is lots of sweating, crying, and drinking wine. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my primary thing. I, I dissolve into this sort of depressive heap of uselessness. Um, but I, I've got better it over the years. I think the real turning point for me was understanding that as a writer, it's very important for me to do a, a reasonably uh, detailed amount of plotting before I jump in. I need, to, I need to know at the very least, I need to know the emotional journey of my protagonist and my secondary characters. I need to know where they start and where they end at the very least. I mean, I used to jump in without even knowing that, which is ridiculous. Um so I do more plotting than I did, and it's the emotional journey rather than what I, I think in the acting um, profession, they call it the business. You know, they've got their lines and they've got their business, and they're sort of undergoing various activities, and it's that um, plot with a, a lowercase P that ca- carries the plot with the upper case p. Um and so I don't worry about the business too much. I kind of get down to that when I'm involved in the nitty-gritty. And I try and it's gonna make me sound like I really know what I'm doing and I'm a proper writer <laughs> who sits down every day and I'm not there yet. I will I will never be entirely there. But I try very hard to especially when I've got a deadline pending, that helps enormously. I try very hard to get through a thousand words a day. And do you know what, when I Try to do that. I actually find myself, on average, writing more than a thousand words a day. A thousand words is a scene, isn't it? It's about three pages of a book. You know, it's it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's a nice um, kind of writing length to go for for every day. I thoroughly commend to writers a small piece of software which I use um, called PaceMaker. It's free, Um, and I I wholeheartedly suggest that that. that writers look it up. And what it does is it it, it it holds a writer to account on a daily basis and tells them what they've done and what they need to do next. And, and I find that incredibly useful. But I'm always learning. I'm always learning. I'll never stop. That's great. Well, are you working on another novel now? Oh, yes, I am. Of course I am. <laughs> I mean, there are more Poppy Alexander books in the pipeline, I will assure readers. But but i i'll tell you what i'm working on at the moment actually it's it's a real uh shift for me and i'm thoroughly enjoying indulging in it it's um it's a it's a, it's a book with a more complex structure than anything that i've done before it's a love story uh as always um but in this case it has a 25 year hiatus in it so it's a dual time novel uh, written in the first person set against uh a background of real events in, in Ireland, uh, as as listeners may know, the Good Friday Peace Agreement was signed in Ireland very nearly twenty five years ago, um, and was 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 followed by um, a really awful uh, incident of terrorism, uh, a bomb in Omagh, uh, which uh, had many many casualties right across the gamut, Protestants, Roman Catholics the whole thing. Uh, and in fact, it was a turning point, the OMA bombing in the peace process, as much as the Good Friday Agreement was. Because it was the point at which all of the parties said, sat down and said, we cannot, we cannot keep doing this. This this has to stop now. Uh, and and we have had 25 years of relative peace following that. But anyway, that's the history. Uh the 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 story, my own story, is only set against that that structure. But I am entirely daunted and excited at the prospect of writing a story against that very sensitive background. I feel I'm opening myself to criticism as a writer um, in in choosing a setting that is so sensitive and, and emotional. Um, so I've got every opportunity to get things badly wrong. Watch this space. I I, I will probably <laughs> need a new writing name after i finished it if <laughs> I ever get a new way of the business.
0: Well, what writing advice would you offer for the, those who are working on their own stories or novels?
1: Oh, I love to hear of other writers writing on their own stories. I I, I mean, I would say to all writers, the most critical thing is to keep going. Uh, if you're lucky as I was, if you uh, when you are ready and you have a full manuscript that's been polished as far as you can get it, I would I would uh, commend writers to engage in the writing community. You know, chat to other writers, get on Twitter, and you know, talk to agents, talk to publishers, talk to other people about your work, and just keep keep writing. Um, you're not going to write your Best, not dare I say, you're not going to write your best novel first time round. You know, um, you guys have got the great, we call it the great British Bake Off, but you guys have got a version of it, haven't you, with Paul Hollywood? I remember another writer saying to me, she said, "When you've baked your first cake, give yourself a pat on the back, but it's not going to be the best cake you ever, ever bake. You've got to learn your craft and you've got to hone your your skills." Um, but what I would say to other writers is the writing community is a really, really lovely space to inhabit. Uh so dive in.
0: That's wonderful. So you talked earlier about reading. What novels have you read recently
1: that you enjoyed? Oh dear, I'm gonna shock everybody with this actually. Um I I I read very widely. Um, I I read literary commercial, uh Right across the board, but I've I, I've just recently I I've been reading some books by a lovely author called Kate Rhodes, who has written a series of bloody murder books. They are really quite gruesome, um, set on the Isles of Scilly, and I absolutely love them. I do, I seem to have this propensity to adore writing books where characters get their heads bashed in and terrible terrible things happen. <laughs> So I think I would shock everybody in that. I may even write something like that one day. In which case, yet again, a new writing name name is definitely going to be required. Otherwise, my Poppy <laughs> Alexander readers are going to have the most terrific shock. Yes. Um, but like my um, character in the Littlest Library, I reread my favourite books an awful lot. You know, um, the, and it, and it is the classics, as you might expect. I, I reread Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte. Uh, probably once every ten years or so. Uh, I adore Jane Austen. Who doesn't? Um, but when I'm writing and and doing the first draft of a book, will take sort of between four and six months, something in that order. When I'm writing, I do actually find it quite difficult to immerse myself in a full length novel written by somebody else. It's almost like if I've got a story in my head, there's not room for another. Similar story to be there at the same time. So, so when I'm I'm writing, I'm actually quite bereft in terms of my reading. I have to have the discipline to not immerse myself in somebody else's story. But I do read. I mean, I I read the news more often than not, which is very inspiring and gives me story ideas. But uh, I particularly adore uh, short story collections, probably partly because I'm absolutely dreadful at writing short stories. I find them <laughs> really hard, and I'm full of admiration for people who do it well. Um, I've got a book here, actually. Um, it's a series of short stories by some really fantastic contemporary writers, and it's called The Haunting Season, Ghostly Tales for Long Winter Nights. Um, I couldn't resist, um, and i <laughs> adored um reading it it's got a stor- short story by um a fabulous writer called Bridget Collins who wrote a best selling book called The Binding for example spooky short stories are kind of my thing I-, I completely adore the victorian gothic uh genre of of spooky stories around the fireside with a good glass of red wine that's kind of my one of my favorite plays. a place is um, a-, a huge uh uh Liking for Susan Hill, who wrote *Woman in Black* and various others, uh, she writes some pretty dark stuff. Um, and my to t- be read pile is absolutely ridiculous. I am—I'm an avid reader who has to put down my books and actually get writing. Um, it's a struggle <laughs> to balance the two always. Well, where can people find you
0: online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels?
1: Oh, I hope they will. Um, everything that I know and everything that I've done is on my website, which is poppy-alexander.com. Um, I hang out on Instagram a bit, Poppy Alexander Books. I'm on Facebook, Poppy Alexander Books. Um, and in my writing life, I do hang around on Twitter quite a lot as well. And on Twitter, here's the big disclosure. Guess what? My <laughs> handle is actually at Sarah Waits. That might be my real name, <laughs> um, and it's spelt W-A-I-G-H-T-S. But, you know, really, really, people, just if you find my website, you found me. I'm there.
0: That's great. Well, again, we've been splitter of the new novel, The Littlest <laughs> Library. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Poppy, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Jeff, you're more than welcome. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Wonderful. You're free.
2: That's one way of looking at it. Oh, come on, said Hannah, you were buried alive in that place. How long's it been? Ten years? Eleven, since we both graduated. And I was very lucky to get that job. But ask yourself, honestly, will you keep in touch with any of them? Jess sighed. She had worked daily with the unlikely ragbag of personalities in Borton on the marsh library. But even on the day it closed its doors for the last time, She knew, beyond the fondness of familiarity, she had nothing in common with any of them. Not really. Exactly, said Hannah, smug in victory. You've lost nothing. What? I've lost my job. Sure, but it's just a job, and a boring one at that, and it's not like you've... Hannah faltered. It's not like I've got anyone to support, Jess finished for her. It was true, she didn't. Not anymore. It had been a year of crushing losses, as her friend knew better than anyone. You know you've always got me, said Hannah stoutly, shoveling another spoonful of mush into her baby's face and then turning back to face the screen, seeking eye contact. This was their near-daily ritual, with Hannah on the screen propped on the dresser in the kitchen and Jess sitting at the scrubbed pine table having her pre-supper glass of wine. It was so lovely having you at the funeral, Jess remembered wistfully. Such an amazing surprise. Where did you think I'd be? I thought you'd be 11,000 miles away, seeing as you are. Thank God for airlines and the internet, said Hannah, raising her mug of coffee in acknowledgement of Jess raising her glass. I do feel virtuous drinking coffee while you're knocking back the vino. Oi, less of the value judgments. When I start drinking wine for breakfast, you have my permission to be officially concerned. So, what will you do? Nothing keeping you in Borton on the marsh now, is there? It's about time. It's my home. I've got the house. It's time to move on, said Hannah resolutely. What would Mimi say? Home is where you lay your hat. She always wanted you to go off and explore the world. Now's the time. knew. Agreed, Jess. Doubtfully, that's what she used to say. Exactly, pastures new. Jess was what her grandmother Mimi had always called a homegrown lass, Boughton on the Marsh, born and bred. Mimi was from France originally, and Papa had always proudly declared that you could take the lass out of Paris, but you couldn't take Paris out of the lass. Mimi wasn't her name really, but it was the closest a two-year-old Jess could get to Mimi. French for Granny, and in the end it was what everyone called her. Mimi had settled in the UK without a backward glance after falling in love with Papa all those years ago. Her grasp of English became near perfect and her French accent almost consumed by flat Middle England vowels. That said, Mimi may have submitted to life in a small market town far from home, but she certainly didn't capitulate. Her sometimes humdrum life was enlivened, as were the lives of all around her, by her relentlessly Parisian attitude. No outfit was complete without a jaunty scarf. No supper, however light and casual, was presented without a single bloom in a slim vase and a glass of good red wine. She was never without a slick of her signature bright red lipstick, and she had the permanently exciting, unsettling tendency to give the impression she was just about to embark on a huge adventure. Jess's life, on the other hand, with one huge exception, had followed a preordained path from local school to local college to local university and then, straight from there, to a local job in the local library. All safe, safe, safe. God, she was boring. Predictable. As usual, Jess and Mimi did everything they could to avoid dangerous introspection over that point in her life. The event, just before her fourth birthday, which was so terrible it still had the power, nearly 30 years on, to stop a conversation in its tracks. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.